0: Maybe I like
1: Hello, and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Just like new friend of the podcast Ace So Hood did this week, and he writes, quote, This is amazing. I need this. Huge 90s wrestling fan. Keep up the good work. End quote. I love it. Simple and to the point, I particularly like the I need this part because after 76 episodes, I want you to be goddamn hooked. And frankly, you should all be raw attitude podcast junkies by this point. So thank you, Ace Sohood, for summing up the appropriate experience for listening to this podcast. And going a bit deeper, before we get into our current episode, I do want to say a quick thank you to many of the other fans of this show for all the great feedback that came in from the previous Over the Edge episode of the podcast. I had thought that listening to me monologue for three and a half hours about the most depressing wrestling-related topic ever would be too much for some of you, but all the comments I received were overwhelmingly positive, so thank you very much for that. I tried to do justice to that night, and Owen Hart in general, so I was very pleased that many of you reached out with very supportive comments, and I do truly appreciate it. But now, I suppose you could say we're moving on to the next phase of our journey, and on that note, I will say that our next show, episode number 77, will feature a very special guest co-host. Joining the Raw Attitude podcast for what will be a record sixth time will be... Adam from the Nitro Mania podcast as well as the new AEW Rundown where he and Sal recap dynamite every week. Very glad to have Adam back on the show and for a quick plug I actually appeared on Nitro Mania recently where Adam and I recapped Starrcade 1996 and the following night's episode of Nitro so be sure to click that link in the episode description. Always a blast to relive WCW's glory days. And so with that being said let's get into Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, May 31st, 1999, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from an arena that is somehow called the Mark of the Quad Cities, which is located in Moline, Illinois. And by the way, shout out to Andy and Bill from the Tuning Japanese podcast, both of whom have appeared on this very show, and both of whom live in the Quad Cities. And by the way, as I just mentioned, this episode of Raw was taped six days in advance, which means, if you're scoring at home, that this show took place a mere two days after Over the Edge and one day after Raw is Owen, so I'm sure the King of Hearts still had to be in everyone's thoughts when they taped this. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include six episodes of Raw, four episodes of SmackDown, the 2015 King of the Ring tournament, which was won by Bad News Barrett, and, most recently, an event in April of 2019 called The Shield's Final Chapter, where all three Shield members teamed up to defeat Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley, and Drew McIntyre. And yes, that final chapter name was indeed fitting, because that match was legitimately the last match Dean Ambrose ever wrestled in the WWE, and he would show up at AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view just one month later. But before I kick into Monday Night Raw, I think you should know that if you're watching on the WWE Network, right off the bat, there is a segment which is completely edited out. But don't worry, I went ahead and found it for you.
2: Jim Ross alongside Jerry the King Lawler, folks have got a fantastic broadcast for you here tonight on raw but as many of you know unfortunately just a little over a week ago at over the edge our friend Owen Hart died tragically in an accident in Kansas City and earlier today funeral services were held for Owen Hart in Calgary Alberta Canada
1: and from there they queue up footage from Owen Hart's funeral, including clips of Owen's parents, Stu Hart, and a tearful Helen Hart. Let me repeat that. The WWF sent cameramen to Owen's funeral. And in case you're wondering, Owen's widow Martha specifically asked them not to air that footage, but hey, fuck her, right? Another fun little detail, the WWF paid for a large floral wreath that said, Owen Hart, and it had a big WWF logo right next to his name. I mean, sometimes I really think Vince McMahon just has no grasp on reality. Like, dude, you do realize that he died due to your company's stupidity, right? Somehow I feel like a WWF logo would be the last thing most of those mourners would want to see. However, Martha actually does end up giving them a bit of a fuck you back, because she has the flowers on the WWF logo rearranged, and Owen's initials put back in its place instead, so well played there. And during her eulogy, Martha also promised a quote, day of reckoning for the WWF coming soon, presumably referring to the lawsuit she'll eventually file on Owen's behalf, so I'm sure the WWF's actions at the funeral here didn't exactly make her doubt that decision. But anyway, my point in bringing all this up is that I'm assuming they had this part edited out from the WWE Network because, retroactively, they have to know that's not a good look, right? You would hope they've gained some measure of self-awareness over the past 20 plus years, but hey, with Vince, who the fuck really knows. So anyway, getting into the footage they haven't edited out from the WWE Network, we open Monday Night Raw with a graphic that says last Sunday, so yes, they are actually showing highlights from Over the Edge, but obviously nothing Owen-related. Rather, instead, they show clips from the main event of that pay-per-view where special guest referee Shane McMahon fast-counted Stone Cold Steve Austin, allowing The Undertaker to get the win and become the new World Wrestling Federation champion. Remember, Taker was intentionally left off the Raw is Owen broadcast, presumably, due to the fact that his character is synonymous with death, so if he appears tonight, it'll be the first we've seen of him on TV in the past eight days. And from there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include This Does Not Suck, T&A 24-7, Harry Beaver 316 Raw is Jericho in 63 days, and pretty close by the way, it's actually 70 days, so they're only a week off. I'd love to eat Chinese, and yes, Chinese is spelled with a Y, get it? Hebner316 says I just got knocked unconscious, and I'm assuming maybe that's in reference to him doing a lot of ref bumps, maybe? I gave puppies a bath. Sable was here with an arrow pointing downward and Jeff Jarrett, our new nugget. And honestly, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be complimentary or an insult, quite frankly. And when they do the opening crowd scan, Jim Ross tells us something very interesting. Tonight, The Undertaker will introduce us to... The Greater Power. And we actually haven't heard much about The Greater Power lately, but I do want to quickly flash back four weeks ago to the promo of The Undertaker cut on the May 3rd episode of Raw. On that show, he told us about his plans for Stone Cold Steve Austin.
3: After I've beaten you, after I've taken your title, I'm going to take your beaten carcass, throw it over my shoulder, I'm going to walk out of the arena with you, and I'm going to take you to Monday Night Raw, and you will be the ultimate sacrifice. You will be sacrificed TO A POWER EVEN GREATER THAN I!
1: So remember, their initial plan for Over the Edge was to have The Undertaker beat Stone Cold and then sacrifice him to The Greater Power on the following night's episode of Raw. Now, obviously, those plans had to be changed because of what happened at Over the Edge, but tonight, we're told that The Greater Power will indeed be here in the arena. Will we find out who this mystery man is? Stay tuned. So we officially kick off the show with the corporate ministry's music playing and out from backstage come several hooded druids and they're carrying the large undertaker symbol to the ring. They position it up against the ring ropes and once they've done that, the entire corporate ministry emerges from backstage. The druids then proceed to stand by outside of the ring and let's just say you may want to remember that little tidbit for just a few minutes from now. So Shane McMahon grabs a microphone and says that when he was the special guest referee at Over the Edge, he made the decisive three count, and he then drops down to the canvas and simulates doing a very slow count, when of course he actually did a very fast count in order to give Taker the title. Shane then hands the microphone to your new WWF champion, The Undertaker, and he has something rather interesting to say. Beating Austin at Over the Edge was merely phase one, but tonight phase two begins. And in this case, phase two apparently means that he will take Stone Cold and deliver him to the higher power tonight. Austin will look into his eyes and he will realize that the higher power is indeed his Lord and Savior. But then, after Taker says that, we get an interruption.
4: Undertaker!
2: Hey, wait! There's this McMahon.
4: Undertaker, Shane, I hope you enjoy your moment of basking in your glory because that's just about all it's going to be. Just a moment.
2: What you talking about?
4: You see, Undertaker, you didn't defeat Stone Cold for the WWF title. No. Undertaker, you screwed Austin.
2: Hell yeah. That's exactly right.
4: So therefore, tonight, I'm going to screw you. What?
2: Wow. How are going to do that? I don't know. But this means it. Look at his eyes.
4: Tonight, Undertaker, in the very ring that you stand, you will compete. And you will defend the WWF Championship. Uh-oh. And you will defend it Against Stone Cold Steve Austin
2: Austin the Undertaker That's not what Jake said
0: Hey Vince You forget That I'm in control Of half this company And by the way I'm calling the shots Told you. So I'll tell you one thing The Undertaker would be happy to annihilate Stone Cold Steve Austin here tonight. However, it will not be for the World Wrestling Federation Championship.
4: I gotta tell you, title or no title, Austin's gonna wipe the mat with your carcass here tonight, Undertaker.
2: Stone Cold's own words,
4: Austin's going to kick your ass. But you know what? Undertaker, look at me when I'm talking to you. Wow. Before Austin kicks your ass tonight... I'm going to give you the privilege of kicking mine. What's he saying? You see, for what you did to my daughter Stephanie, for the hell you put my wife Linda through, for the fact that you turned my own son against me, you turned Shane into some sort of monster, the fact that you screwed Stone Cold Steve Austin, Undertaker... I may not get very much of you, but tonight I'm gonna get me some.
0: Wow, this man challenging. That's it, Vince! That's it! You finally found your grapefruits! I like that! I like to reward bravado. So I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Tonight, Vince, by some miracle, you were able to defeat The Undertaker in this very ring, then tonight, the WWF Championship will be on the line with Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. However, this just in, a quick added stipulation. If anybody in the back, any members of the union, or Stone Cold Steve Austin himself, interfere with your match with The Undertaker, then Austin will lose his championship privileges, meaning no title shot.
2: That's not fair.
4: All right, Shane, you're on. Because when you think about it, I've got everything to gain and just about nothing to lose. I
2: guarantee you one thing, knowing Vince McMahon, Vince is not going to come out here alone. He'll have some sort of equalizer.
0: I can darn near guarantee it. Well, Vince, you might not have much to lose, except maybe a few teeth. However, I'll tell you one thing. Stone Cold Steve... lose. You see, Vince, because if you do not defeat The Undertaker in this very ring here tonight, then Austin will never, and I mean never, ever again get a shot at the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Now how
2: Sign, I can guarantee you that. Vince to for the
1: So first of all, now I finally know where that clip of Vince saying, I'm gonna screw you came from. So that's good. But more importantly, as you heard there, we have two rather interesting matches scheduled for tonight, the first one being The Undertaker versus Vince McMahon. And if Vince wins that match, Stone Cold Steve Austin will then get a title match against The Undertaker later on tonight. However, if Vince doesn't win, then Austin will never get another shot at the WWF Championship, so truly some very high stakes tonight on Raw. So the corporate ministry then exits the ring and starts walking back up the ramp with the druids accompanying them, but then something rather unexpected happens. So yes, as you heard there, Stone Cold Steve Austin was actually dressed as a druid and he was hanging out at ringside the entire time. Pretty clever, I I actually had no clue about this. So the pissed off Austin then basically decides to go after the corporate ministry all by himself, which doesn't work out too well. But then, the union emerges from backstage and provides some backup for him. After both sides brawl for a while, Austin and the Union then triumphantly enter the ring, with the corporate ministry heading back up the ramp, and I've got to say, the Union gets a pretty big pop when they come to Austin's aid, which makes it all the more perplexing when you realize that, spoiler alert, that faction is not going to be around for much longer. And speaking of the Union, after our first commercial break, we then go live backstage where Stone Cold is angrily stomping around and the Union follows behind him. Apparently Austin is actually mad about the fact that the Union keeps coming to his aid when he never asked them to do so. And with that in mind, Test then walks up to Stone Cold and says they were just trying to help him, to which Austin responds by forcibly shoving Test down to the ground. Stone Cold then walks away, and Ken Shamrock yells at him that, if that's the way Austin wants it, then from now on, he's on his own. That seems like a bad idea for Stone Cold, but then again, he does live by the motto, don't trust anybody, so fair enough, I suppose. So from there, we head back into the arena for our first match of the night, Union member The Big Show versus badass Billy Gunn. And speaking of Mr. Ass, last night on Heat, he won a King of the Ring qualifying match against Viscera, so he'll be in the tournament, and X-Pac and Ken Shamrock also won qualifying matches, so they too will be in the mix. But as for right now, tonight, it's Mr. Ass versus The Big Show in a non-King of the Ring match. And surprisingly, Billy Gunn actually does manage to take The Big Show off his feet by drop kicking him in the knee, and he works him over with punches for a while as well. However, eventually, Big Show managed to regain control, and he did his patented signal for the chokeslam. But when he did that, Mr. Ass rolled out of the ring and started walking up the ramp. Billy stood in the aisle taunting Big Show, and sure enough, referee Jimmy Corderas did indeed count him out. Your winner of the match is the Big Show. Unfortunately for Billy, though, he had his back turned to the entrance, which enabled his former tag-team partner, the Road Dog, to sneak up on him and toss Mr. Ass right back into the ring. From there, Big Show did indeed nail him with the chokeslam, or the showstopper, if you will, so Road Dog managed to get a bit of revenge after his loss to Billy at Over the Edge. This feud must continue. Huzzah! And then... and then... Once that segment concludes, we cut backstage where Mrs. Cleavage is sitting in the lap of Beaver Cleavage. Yes, folks, after roughly six weeks of Beaver Cleavage vignettes, he is finally live in the arena. So anyway, Beaver Cleavage tells his mother that he's scared because this is his first match, so uh, I guess we're just going to act as though Headbanger Mosh never existed, apparently? That is quite a stretch, but okay. So Mrs. Cleavage then attempts to comfort Beaver by hugging him, which positions his head between her breasts, to which Beaver responds by staring into the camera and bouncing his eyebrows up and down suggestively. So yes, this is a proudly incestuous wrestling angle, folks. Just just fantastic. And after commercial break, we then go backstage again, where Vince McMahon is in the locker room with Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. The Stooges say that facing the Undertaker is a no-win situation, but Vince tells them to just stay out of his business tonight. But really, though, the Stooges should just let Vince take that beating, I think, because if the Undertaker incapacitates him, doesn't that put Patterson and Briscoe that much closer to the throne? Just saying. And we then go back into the arena for our next match, Brood member Christian versus... Beaver Cleavage, who is accompanied by his mother, Mrs. Cleavage. And, in case you were wondering, Beaver's entrance is shown entirely in black and white, he's dressed in a schoolboy outfit, and he's wearing one of those beanie caps with a propeller on it. I mean, everything about this just screams... top-notch gimmick. I will say, though, this match was not nearly as much of a disaster as I thought it would be. The Beave actually put in a pretty good effort, with the highlight of the match being when he jumped to the second turnbuckle, then leaped and hit Christian with a flying clothesline while Christian was standing on the ring apron. Not bad, especially since I don't remember him ever doing anything like that when he was with the Headbangers. And folks, I can't believe this actually happened, but at one point, we get a beaver chant from the crowd. It wasn't huge, but it was definitely audible on the WWE Network. Although I will say, this episode was pre-taped, so I suppose they could have added that in post-production, but yes, one way or the other, there was a chant for the beave. And so the finish of the match came when Christian went to the top turnbuckle and hit Beaver with a top rope elbow drop. And, well, let's just pick it up from there. That's a little
2: hard on the Beaver right there. Look Oh, my God! Hey, wait a minute. There's Michael Hayes and the Hardy Boys. Hey, Christian, look out! Hey! He has a referee distracted.
1: So yes, once Christian hit his top rope elbow drop, Mrs. Cleavage distracted referee Teddy Long, which allowed the Hardy Boys and Michael P.S. Hayes to run out from backstage. Hayes smacked Christian in the head with his cane, Beaver Cleavage then grabbed Christian and hit him with a reverse suplex, Teddy Long turned back around, he made the count, and yes, that was enough to give the victory to Beaver Cleavage. And for the record, I'll go ahead and say it. This was a pretty fun four-minute television match. I expected much, much worse, but both men overdelivered. And it's kind of funny to think about some of these matches in retrospect. I mean, future multi-time world champion Christian takes a pinfall loss to Beaver Cleavage. If you would have bet on Christian being a future WWE World Heavyweight Champion after this match aired, you probably would have made a killing. And after the match, the Hardys and Michael Hayes then continued beating on Christian, which, of course, brought out Gangrel and Edge to provide some backup for their stablemate. The brood proceeded to clean house, sending the Hardys and Hayes packing, but I don't think I'm alone when I say that I certainly hope that we see a lot more of this rivalry. But getting back to the match for just a moment, you might be wondering, Henry, why the hell would you even bother playing the finish of a beaver cleavage match? Well, the reason is because... This is the only ever match featuring Beaver Cleavage. Six weeks of vignettes for one single match. And in case you're wondering how they write him off television, well, we actually don't get that answer until three weeks from now on Raw, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But yes, I'm sorry, folks. Beaver Cleavage is one and done. Although, if you're looking for a silver lining, I suppose he can say that he retired undefeated, so good for him. And from there we then cut backstage where The Undertaker is with Shane McMahon. Taker tells Shane that Vince McMahon is not going to stand in his way tonight and he will honor the vow he made to the higher power. I repeat, The Undertaker will fight Vince McMahon tonight in order to appease the higher power. Just, Just file that information away. And so after a commercial break, we go back inside the arena for our next match, and it is for the WWF Intercontinental Championship, champion The Godfather, accompanied by Three Hoes, versus Jeff Jarrett, who is accompanied by your WWF Women's Champion, Deborah. So before the match, The Godfather grabs a mic and does his usual pimpin' ain't easy routine, but then he tells Jarrett, quote, You got something that belongs to me, son, clearly referring to Deborah. And this actually harkens back to an angle from about a month ago, where Godfather faced Double J, and the stipulation was, if Jarrett lost, Deborah would have to join the Ho-Train. Well, Jarrett lost, but then Deborah just... didn't join the Ho-Train. So apparently, the Godfather hasn't forgotten. But fortunately for Deborah, though, a life of sexual slavery is not on the line again in this match, only the Intercontinental title, so that's good. And as you might expect, the match was pretty quick, with Godfather controlling the majority of it. At one point, Godfather nailed his running hoe train splash, then followed that up with a big boot, at which point, Deborah climbed up on the ring apron. She then tried to distract the Godfather by doing her usual method of removing her blouse to show off her bra. However, Godfather countered that by having one of his hoes climb up on the ring apron and show off, Her bra, so essentially we had an early version of the Puppy Bowl. And from there, well, take a listen to what happens next. So yes, as you heard there, with referee Tim White being distracted by one of the Godfather's hoes being up on the ring apron, that provided the perfect opportunity for Deborah to slide her women's title into the ring. Jarrett grabbed it, smacked Godfather in the face with it, Tim White turned back around, he made the count, and yes, your winner and the new WWF Intercontinental Champion is indeed Jeff Jarrett. Now for the record, this is Double J's fourth Intercontinental title reign, which at the time tied him with Razor Ramon for the most IC title reigns in company history. Truly some hallowed ground here at the time. And I will say, this little turn of events actually makes a lot of sense, because remember that the Blue Blazer was supposed to beat the Godfather for the title at Over the Edge, but tonight, Owen's friend and tag team partner Jeff Jarrett wins the belt instead, so very fitting in my opinion. And on that note, after the match, when Jarrett climbs the turnbuckle to celebrate, you can clearly see him yell the words, Owen Hart, which was actually really cool. Remember, this episode is airing eight days after Over the Edge, but it was actually taped only two days afterward, so needless to say, still very fresh in everyone's minds. But in my opinion, a very cool moment, and I think it made a lot of sense to put the belt on Jarrett. So well done. Kind of a a bit of a feel-good moment here on Raw. And so, when we return from commercial, it is now time for our next match, and yes, it's the one which was booked earlier tonight, your new WWF champion, The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer, versus Vince McMahon, with the stipulation being that Stone Cold Steve Austin will get a shot at Taker's title later tonight if Vince wins, but if Vince loses, Austin will never get another shot at the belt. In case you were wondering, by the way, Vince is not selling his ankle injury at all, even though, as you recall, it was so severe that it prevented him from being able to referee the main event at Over the Edge. And that lack of selling is kinda hard to believe, because remember, Vince is the same guy who was coming out in a wheelchair for several months last fall after The Undertaker dropped the steel stairs on his ankle, so you'd think selling this injury would be second nature for him by now, but no, apparently not. And so the match officially begins with Vince running into the ring, where The Undertaker immediately starts punching and kicking the shit out of him. Again, I say The Undertaker is beating Vince McMahon's ass. And let's just say that you may want to remember that little bit of information for the next edition of this podcast, but I digress. And just to piggyback on that, at one point with Paul Bearer distracting referee Mike Chioda, Vince takes that opportunity to kick Taker in the balls. And then, unfortunately, we get Vince McMahon going on offense, as he then backs Taker into a corner and starts punching him in the stomach with alternating left and right hands. And, uh, let's just say, it doesn't look great. But shortly after that, Taker regains the momentum, and he starts punching Vince in one of the corners. Kiyota tries to break it up, so Taker shoves him to the ground. Kyoto then goes right back to trying to break things up, so Taker shoves him to the ground again, and this time, Kyoto does indeed call for the bell. And so, miraculously, your winner of the match, via disqualification, is Vince McMahon. Yes, you heard that correctly. Vince McMahon just defeated your reigning WWF champion. Okay then. And because he was victorious, that means, later on tonight, Stone Cold Steve Austin will indeed get a shot at Taker's WWF title. And, needless to say, The Undertaker isn't very pleased about that. So shortly after the match ends, Patterson and Briscoe then run down to ringside to help out Vince, to which Taker responds by beating up both of the Stooges. And then, in what I thought was a nice touch, Taker starts pursuing referee Mike Chioda, So Kyoto runs off through the crowd with Taker in hot pursuit. Not every day you see a referee just running for his life. And from there, we then cut backstage where Michael Cole is with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Cole says that Austin's match against The Undertaker will now be a title match, but Stone Cold says he never asked for assistance from Vince McMahon or anyone else, and then he tells Cole to get the hell out of his locker room before he punches him in the mouth. So clearly, Stone Cold is... Still a bit miffed about losing his title, but tonight, he has a shot at getting it back. So we then go back into the arena, where union member Mankind is now heading to the ring. In case you need a reminder, Mankind was jumped backstage at Over the Edge by Triple H, who beat the crap out of him with a lead pipe. And I'm guessing you may have forgotten about that segment, since it happened immediately after Jim Ross told us that Owen Hart had died. So now you're caught up. But anyway, Foley heads to the ring and grabs a microphone, and, well, let's just see that his promo probably doesn't go in the direction you were expecting.
3: ...made a lasting impression on Mrs. Foley's baby boy. So, the Ministry has tried to take out our fearless leader. Well, now it's time for the union to get a little payback. Unions always want to get paid. What I'd like to have tonight, I'm going to ask real nicely, is I'd like to have Triple H in this ring. What? Challenge. And I'd like to have the match with no disqualifications. Union's always making demands. And I would like pinballs to count anywhere in this building. What? And you see, I've got two good reasons. First of all, Triple H, and over the edge, you did quite a job on me with that pipe. And I do not enjoy a pipe job. Think for yourself. Second, and I don't mean to drag this up, but I've got to clear my conscience. You see, Triple H, the word in the dressing room is that, well... China has kind of been checking me out. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> now I don't know if it was my rugged good looks. <laughs> my boyish charm Might be that. or that faithful, faithful night when she accidentally walked in when I was in the shower bending over to get the soap. <laughs> oh that's a visual for you I turned around wearing only my birthday suit which I looked pretty damn good in and I could see in her eyes that she wanted to touch me in an impure way i try to understand this and get this through your head. I'm a married man, and you cannot touch mankind's manhood. Oh, boy. But tonight, I'm going to give you the chance to look at the merchandise. If what? you smell la-la-la, wear my sock. Oh, no hiding <laughs> All right. a nice
2: indeed Hemsley I better have, think about a nice day because it's gonna be mankind in triple H sounds like a hardcore matchup to me Anything can happen, missing man has already been the undertaker tonight oh, I can't believe it JR.
1: so that was certainly something. But I suppose the main takeaway there is the fact that Mankind will face Triple H tonight in a hardcore match with a presumably conflicted China looking on, since we now know that she has the hots for Mick Foley. Okay then. So we go to a commercial break, but when we return, we get footage from during the break where the big boss man jumped Mankind on the ramp after he finished his promo. And we then return live where mankind and the boss man are still fighting with each other at ringside, at which point the road dog's music plays in case you weren't already confused enough. Apparently Road Dog is scheduled to face the boss man, but because he's currently brawling with McFoley, it seems as though Road Dog will just have to wait. But eventually, Foley rolls Bossman into the ring, where Road Dog, still holding his microphone, proceeds to just bop Bossman in the face with it, giving us a bit of that scratchy mic noise. Well, I thought it was pretty funny anyway. But from there, Mankind leaves the ringside area, and our next match is indeed now underway. The Road Dog Jesse James versus Corporate Ministry member The Big Bossman. And, mercifully, this match doesn't last nearly as long as their match at the Royal Rumble a few months ago, which somehow went for... 12 minutes. I'm sorry, I, I, I just can't get over that. But anyway, your finish in this match came when the Bossman grabbed his nightstick, and, for some reason, the Road Dog attempted to give him a sunset flip, so Bossman responded by just smacking the D O W G right in the face with the nightstick. And, of course, he did that right in front of referee Teddy Long, which resulted in a disqualification. Your winner of the match, the Road Dog Jesse James. And after the match, Bossman continued hitting Road Dog with the nightstick until Teddy Long snatched it away from him. So Bossman then pulled out a metal chain from his flak jacket, and he started punching and choking Road Dog with it. And I have to say, this sudden mean streak from the Boss Man has kind of come out of nowhere because he's basically been a complete non-factor over the past few months. Ever since he lost to the Undertaker at WrestleMania, not to mention the fact that Road Dogg has been feuding with Billy Gunn, which we literally saw earlier tonight when he threw Mr. Ass back into the ring so the Big Show could choke slam him. But now apparently he's also feuding with the Big Boss Man. Sure, why not? So yes, Bossman stands tall, and we conclude the segment with him mockingly dropping the chain on Road Dogg's chest. Do we have a chain match between these two coming up on the horizon? No, really, I'm actually asking because I have no idea. I suppose we'll all find out together. And after that segment concludes, we cut backstage where an angry Shane McMahon is throwing chairs around and knocking things over. Apparently, Shane is none too pleased that Stone Cold's match against The Undertaker tonight will now be for the WWF title. Again, I say, be sure to remember that part for our next episode. And when we come back from commercial, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler introduce us to the King of the Ring bracket featuring 16 wrestlers. And for me, the first round matchup that looks the most intriguing is Val Venus versus China. Yes, that's right. We could theoretically have a Queen of the Ring this year. And the commentators inform us that most of the matches will take place on Sunday Night Heat, which I actually kind of like. It gives more of an incentive to watch the secondary show. I think that makes a lot of sense. And from there, we segue into our next match, and it is for the WWF Tag Team Championships, Champions X-Pac and Kane versus Challengers The Acolytes. And a few minutes into this match, your leader of the corporate ministry, Shane McMahon, made his way down to ringside. Not sure why he wasn't there to begin with, but hey, he's here now. So once again, we got our usual format of a Kane and X-Pac match, where Pac got worked over, then eventually made the hot tag to Kane, who cleaned house on Farouk and Bradshaw. And by the way, that's not a criticism. X-Pac and Kane's matches have been pretty goddamn entertaining lately, so for my money, it's definitely a format that's working. But anyway, Kane Queen's house for a bit, and then, well, just take a listen to what happens next.
2: Bradshaw's through. Trying to double-team Kane. Oh. Hey, what a way. Shane McMahon. He's He's getting a chair. Oh, right. He's not going to sit down. You need my chair? There's a tag. X-POP, now the legal man. kane oh. has got that chair. He's in the corner. Right near Bradshaw. Oh.
1: So what you heard there was Kane setting up Bradshaw on the ground in one of the corners in perfect position for a Bronco Buster. Kane then tags in X-Pac, and the big red machine turns his attention to Farouk. So X-Pac gets ready to deliver the Bronco Buster to Bradshaw, but then we get a bit of an ingenious spot. So when X-Pac gets a running start and leaps. Shane McMahon holds up a steel chair against the turnbuckles, so X-Pac goes crashing face-first into the chair when he hits the Bronco Buster. Very clever. And, of course, all of this was behind referee Jimmy Cordero's back. So Kane then chases Shane away from ringside, but back in the ring, Bradshaw nails X-Pac with a clothesline from hell, he makes the cover, Corderas makes the count, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have new WWF Tag Team Champions, the Acolytes, and it's our second title change of the night, no less. And I've got to say, this legitimately surprised me 21 years later. I honestly had no recollection of the Acolytes winning the tag team titles when they were in the corporate ministry. In my memory, they don't win the belts until, spoiler, later on in their WWF tenures, but clearly I was wrong. Farouk and Bradshaw are now your new tag team champions. Who would have thought that a few months ago when these two were basically reduced to jobber status? Go figure. And not only that, but this is the first title reign of any sort for both of these guys in the WWF. Obviously, Ron Simmons was a former world champion in WCW, and Bradshaw will somehow end up being a world champion down the road in WWE, but these are the first belts either of them have won in this company. History is made here in Moline, Illinois, of all places. Mark that one on your calendars. And then, after a commercial break, no, you know what? I'm not even going to give you any context. I'm just going to go ahead and play the exact segment for you, the way it happens next, submitted with no context whatsoever. Please, enjoy. <sighs>
3: Oh. Oh, God.
1: So... yeah. In case you were wondering what that was all about, essentially what we got there was black and white security cam footage inside a bathroom, which I assume has to be illegal. And yes, we hear the sounds of Mark Henry taking an incredibly loud shit until D'Lo Brown walks in and tells him he has to wash his hands and give a courtesy flush and in the bottom left corner of the screen we see a label which says gd tv now i feel okay giving somewhat of a spoiler here with the initials being gd tv the original idea was that the person who was going to be behind this hidden camera segment was going to be goldust and frankly we all should have seen this coming because just about two years prior Goldust had actually already done something similar flashing back to august eleventh, 1997 Goldust and Marlena were in a feud with Brian Pillman, and the stipulation was that Pillman would have to wear a dress until he won a match. So during one episode of Raw, with Goldust and Marlena on commentary during a match, we got a picture-in-picture showing black-and-white hidden security cam footage of Pillman struggling to put on a dress in his locker room. Yes,
2: I'm sure you've seen Air Force One, right? It blows that away. To find this. Show it's a little there. premiere of it right now, please. All right. It's bigger than conspiracy theory? Oh, yes. It's way wonderful. bigger.
4: Makes George of the Jungle look like a chimpanzee. Directed by Marlene, and we've got... Hey, wait a minute. That's that's Brian Pillman's locker room. Is that Brian Pillman's locker room? <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. What's, What's this? What have you... Do you have,
2: you have a camera? That's our golden handy cam we hit up <laughs> with the premiere. Sure, what? Our golden cam. A little invasion, like maybe, of, little, yeah. little invasion of privacy, isn't
0: it? Oh, no, no. Maybe slightly. Uh,
2: what about that? It's like the Frank Gifford cam or something. Hey, this is against the law. Oh, no, it's not against the law. <laughs> what do you mean it's not against the law? You got a camera in a man's dressing room? Not for Pillman. Pillman's against the law.
1: So there you have it. GDTV was actually foreshadowed way back in the summer of 1997. But flashing back to here in 1999, Goldust literally leaves the company just days after this Mark Henry GDTV segment is taped, so clearly he's not going to be revealed as the person behind it. And as a result, no, we never actually get the revelation of who is behind GDTV, or GTV as it ends up being called later. Although interestingly enough, just a few years ago, Chris Jericho did an interview with some website called AfterBuzz, where he revealed that once Goldust left, some people behind the scenes in the WWF came up with a different idea for who should be the person behind it, and it's about as 1999 as you can get. According to Jericho, the WWF wanted to reveal that the person doing these segments was actually Tom Green. And honestly, that does kind of make sense because he would frequently pull pranks on people on his show. But unfortunately, according to Jericho, when Vince McMahon watched some of the Tom Green show, he said that Tom Green wasn't funny. And thus, the idea was dropped. But honestly, though, in 1999, if Tom Green was revealed as the guy behind GTV, I feel like that would have actually gotten a pretty big pop. And frankly, I would have preferred him being revealed as the greater power instead of the guy who actually is, but that's a whole other topic. However, I do want to touch on one more thing related to this segment, though. As I said before, this episode of Raw was taped one day after Raw is Owen, and just 24 hours prior, Mark Henry was tearfully reading a poem about how much Owen Hart meant to him, and now we're all laughing at him for taking loud shits. I mean, does that seem wrong to anyone else? I know, I know, we're back to business as usual now that Owen is gone, but 24 hours later you're making fun of Mark Henry after he was just bawling his eyes out over his dead friend? It just seems too soon to me, but feel free to let me know if you disagree. I just couldn't help but get a bit pissed off about that even 20-plus years later, but we'll move on. And so we go back into the arena for our next match, Union member Ken Shamrock versus Val Venus, who is accompanied by Nicole Bass. And speaking of Owen, before this match, we flash back to footage from Over the Edge, where Nicole Bass forcibly kissed Val Venus after they won their mixed tag team match, with Val surprisingly enjoying the kiss. And, just as a reminder, that match went on literally minutes after Owen fell from the rafters. But hey, we got some great footage of Val Venus mouthing the word WOW after Nicole kissed him, so hey, you gotta use that when you can, right? You gotta use it. Ugh. So yes, tonight we have Ken Shamrock versus Val Venus, reigniting their feud from a few months ago when Val was banging Ken's sister. Also, with this year's King of the Ring tournament starting up, let us not forget that Ken Shamrock is still your reigning King of the Ring at this point in time, and, uh, well, now he's in the union, so not exactly ending his reign on a high note, to say the least. So shortly after the match begins, your new WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett headed down to ringside, along with your reigning WWF Women's Champion Debra. And for some reason, Jarrett then jumped up on the ring apron and pointed to his newly won belt, distracting Ken Shamrock. And as a quick reminder, Jarrett had been feuding with Val Venus recently, but for some reason, now he's distracting Val's opponent for him, because logic. So anyway, Shamrock charges toward Double J, who drops down to the arena floor. Shamrock then attempts to exit the ring and go after him, but when he steps over the second rope, Val kicks the rope right into Shamrock's balls. Val then rolls Shamrock into a small package. Referee Tim White makes the count. And yes, that's enough to give the victory to Val Venus. And by the way, can we call it ironic that Val Venus wins a match with a small package. Just just some food for thought there. But anyway, as soon as the bell rings, Shamrock just pops right back up and nails Val with a belly-to-belly suplex. He then exits the ring and chases Jared and Deborah backstage. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Nicole Bass helps Val back up to his feet, but he seems rather displeased. Val then grabs a mic, and so let's pick it up from there.
2: What's this? Maybe it's
3: a lover's quarrel. You think? Maybe. Nicole, Uh-oh. I want to know, where the hell were you? Ha! It's over. I knew it. You told me that you could handle anything. Now, where the hell were you? This didn't last long, though. We had special.
2: All right. Another All, right. One. All right, baby. All right. It's
4: okay.
3: It's okay. What? I understand. It's okay, baby. You can make it up to me right now. <laughs> what? What
2: do you think that means? Oh, I shudder to think. Well, I, as they say, love is blind. Our beauty's only a light switch away. What if I, I don't know. uh,
1: So, yes, initially it looked like Val was going to do one of his patented in-ring breakup segments. Off the top of my head, I believe he's done that to Mrs. Yamaguchi-san, Terry Runnels, and Ryan Shamrock over the past year or so. But no! Instead, he tells Nicole Bass that she can make things up to him right now. Clearly, you just can't let a woman like that go. And honestly, once again... I was fooled. I thought he was going to dump her for sure, so tonight is quite the night of surprises. At least for me, anyway. And from there, we then cut backstage, where the Undertaker is kind of just staring off-screen somewhere. He says, quote, I will not fail you, my lord. I will not fail you. So yes, the Undertaker is now referring to the higher power as his lord, so, whoever this higher power is, he must be pretty goddamn badass if even The Undertaker is subservient to him, right? Right? <sighs> Again, I say, just wait till the next episode. So, we then go back into the arena for our next match, and it is the hardcore match which was booked earlier tonight Union member Mankind versus Triple H, who is accompanied by China. And I just have to point out how amusing it is that Mankind versus Triple H is happening on Raw with only about an hour of buildup, and just contrast that to where this feud will be by the turn of the year. Just kind of funny to see how these things play out sometimes. So almost as soon as the match begins, both men roll out of the ring and head to the floor. At one point, Triple H suplexes Mankind onto the floor, and then China just throws Foley face first into the steel steps because, obviously, this match is no disqualification. Interference is fine. Makes a lot of sense to me. And Triple H then takes that opportunity to go under the ring and grab his new weapon of choice, the sledgehammer. With Foley leaning against the steps, Triple H winds up and swings the sledgehammer at him, but thankfully Foley moves out of the way. And yes, we can tell that this is indeed a real sledgehammer, because when mankind moves we can clearly see a large dent in the side of the steps. Very nice. Continuing on, China then grabbed a steel chair and nailed Mankind in the head with it, but Foley surprisingly no sold it. However, Triple H was able to sneak up on Foley and hit him from behind, which actually knocked him into China, sending her down to the ground right near that aforementioned sledgehammer. And yes, that will come into play in just a moment. So back in the ring, Mankind put the mandible claw on Triple H, but yes, China rolled in and hit Foley between the legs with the handle of the sledgehammer. Mankind then responded by putting the mandible claw on China, but unfortunately for Foley, though, while he was doing that, Triple H grabbed the sledgehammer. Hunter took another big swing with it, but this time, he actually swung the sledgehammer with full force right into Mick Foley's knee. Triple H then pins him, referee Mike Kyoto makes the count, and yes, that was enough to secure the victory for Triple H. Now, at this point, you're probably saying, Wait a minute, Triple H swung a sledgehammer and dented the steel stairs, but then he also swung the sledgehammer and hit Mankind in the knee with it? How did that not knock McFoley's leg clean off? Well, I'm pretty sure China actually did a bit of a switcheroo when Mankind knocked her down by the steel steps. I'm pretty sure she put the real sledgehammer back under the ring, and then pulled out a fake sledgehammer, but unless you were paying attention, you'd never really notice, so well done there. But yes, once again, Triple H looks like an absolute madman when he uses that sledgehammer, just like he did a few weeks ago when he locked the rock in a casket and smashed the shit out of it. And to further play that up, after the match, Foley immediately takes off his Mankind mask and starts clutching his knee. A bunch of WWF officials then start tending to him, at which point Triple H and China return to the ring and start beating up the referees. Hunter then starts working over Foley's injured knee some more until... The Rock runs out from backstage, still sporting a cast on his arm from when Triple H threw him off the stage a few weeks ago. And Rock, by the way, gets a huge pop from the crowd, which kind of makes it a bit questionable to me that this is literally all we see of him tonight. He gets some shots in on Triple H, causing Hunter and China to retreat backstage, and then we go to commercial. So for those scoring at home, on this episode of Raw, we get literally 30 seconds of The Rock, and a whole minute of Mark Henry farting. That seems awfully imbalanced to me. And yet this show will do a massive rating anyway, so go figure. And after commercial, we see footage from During the Break, where Mankind's fellow union members, the big show, Ken Shamrock and Test, help him limp backstage where he can barely walk on his own. And we then return, quote-unquote, live, where Foley is being loaded into an ambulance and Test hops into it with him. And again, I have to say, we're only two days removed from Over the Edge, where there was a whole shitload of backstage drama, with Owen Hart being left sitting in an ambulance. So did we need to do an angle literally 48 hours later involving an ambulance? Maybe I'm overreacting, but still, I think we all would have known that Mick Foley was going to the hospital after that sledgehammer attack. They probably didn't need to hire an ambulance company yet again just to show one on camera for about 10 seconds. Maybe I'm wrong, but hey... I will always err on the side of not invoking horrendous trauma immediately after it happens, but that's just me. That's just me. And on the note of Triple H taking out mankind's knee, this was actually done for a very important reason. In real life, Mick Foley really did need to have knee surgery, and he'd been putting it off for a few months so he could work all of his advertised dates. The sledgehammer attack gave Foley an excuse to be off TV while he was actually recovering from the surgery, and truthfully, I really don't remember how long he ends up being gone for. I know that he's back by SummerSlam about two and a half months from now, but I don't recall when his actual return is, so once again, I suppose we shall all find out together. But anyway, we then go back into the arena, where it is now time for our main event, and it is for the WWF Championship, champion The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer, versus challenger Stone Cold Steve Austin, in a rematch from our Over the Edge main event a few days prior. And remember, this match is for the title because Vince McMahon somehow got a win over Taker earlier tonight. Now, two quick things to note here when The Undertaker enters. Number one, he's wearing Austin's Smoking Skull belt around his waist, so he has not yet gone back to using the big circular belt that almost everybody else uses in the Attitude Era. And number two, when he emerges from backstage, he looks off to his left, where one of his symbols is laying on the stage. Spoiler though, that doesn't come into play at all in the rest of the show, but at least it looks cool, I suppose. But as for the match itself, I will say this. I think it was a lot better than their match at Over the Edge. Obviously, it was much shorter, since it was on Raw, but this one was actually pretty fast-paced, with a lot of the usual brawling around the ring that tends to characterize a Steve Austin match in the Attitude Era. Our finish came after about seven minutes, when The Undertaker was working over Stone Cold, until Austin managed to turn the tide, and, well, let's pick it up from It's
2: anybody's smart- mind Did you see all earlier right. in the show when, when the Undertaker every time he mentioned the greater power he looked right at shape I, I saw that. Yeah, Dim West. Well, if the higher power, greater power, or greater power. Look at all the corporate ministry on one knee. And tied up to those ropes. Austin is absolutely helpless. Nowhere for the rattlesnake to go. You feel the tension here, Jr. This is great. The Undertaker said on heat that he was going to serve up Austin to the greater power tonight on Raw. And apparently, that's what we're about to witness. In the entire ministry on their knees. It's as if the Undertaker is paying homage oh, to the greater see? power. Can you see his face? <laughs> I cannot see this individual's face. Austin being restrained by the corporate ministry. it gotta be. What's he do? The greater power just revealed himself to Austin. Austin's side! Austin's in shock. What? The wrestling looks like he's he's just seen a ghost. Who is it? Who the hell is it? Who is it? who the hell? Is the greater
1: power. So yes, as you heard there, Austin hit the Undertaker with a Stone Cold Stunner, and he seemed poised to win the title. But Paul Bearer yanked referee Earl Hebner out of the ring before he could count to three. From there, the entire corporate ministry, except for Shane McMahon, ran down to the ring, quickly overwhelmed Stone Cold, and tied him up in the ring ropes. And once they did that, the Undertaker got down on one knee and did his signature pose, at which point a figure in a robe emerged from backstage. So yes, the higher power, or greater power, take your pick, is indeed in the building. However, his face is covered up by the hood of the robe, so we can't see who it is, And as you heard Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler say, they clearly think the higher power is Shane McMahon, due to his glaring absence during this segment. But just before we go off the air, the higher power walks over to Austin, lifts his hood up slightly, and exposes his face to stone cold. And we at home can't see who it is, but Austin clearly does, because we can see him yell, Son of a bitch! And we go off the air with Jim Ross speculating as to who the higher power is. Certainly, I would call that an effective cliffhanger. Although, really, my one main issue here would be, as soon as the corporate ministry leaves, shouldn't Stone Cold just grab a mic and tell everyone who it is? Or at the very least, there's an episode of Heat coming up on Sunday. Shouldn't he just spoil it then? But, of course, logic is never really wrestling's friend, is it? And if you want further proof of that, well, just wait until the higher power is revealed next week. oi But as for this episode, we're not done yet, so let's take it to the wrap-up.
2: Yo, I slayed them C's back in the rec room era My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror I freak beat, slam it like Iron Sheik We dedicated the to casters, been thugging Vinny passed, got more hoes than Jim Duggan I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind They won't let me back in Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlick Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak Now the rockin' Stone Cold are my favorite maniacs. The top rooster to plucking, chickens when
1: they plucking Cause the WWF stands for women where we fucking The Ratings Recap So, due to the curiosity factor of what they were going to do the night after Over the Edge, last week's Raw is Owen episode did a massive 7.14 rating, which ends up being the third highest rating in the history of Raw. This week they dropped back down to a, still ridiculous, 6.25 rating, while Nitro dropped from a 3.77 to a 3.27, hitting another mark for the lowest rated Nitro of the year. But of course, for the sake of comparison, here's what you could have been watching over on the TNT Network instead. Billy Kidman and Hack went to a no contest, Van Hammer defeated Evan Courageous, Conan and Rey Mysterio defeated Kurt Hennig and Bobby Duncan Jr. via disqualification, and by the way, this alliance of Hennig and Duncombe is the beginning of a legendary stable which will come to be known as the West Texas Rednecks, so there's something to look forward to, I suppose. David Flair defeated Eric Watts in a battle of two of the worst second-generation wrestlers of all time. Ernest Miller defeated Scott Norton. Randy Savage defeated an imposter Kevin Nash, because that's comedy. Buff Bagwell defeated Bobby Eaton. Diamond Dallas Page and Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Perry Saturn and Canyon to win the WCW Tag Team Championships, but spoiler, they don't hold them for very long. And before I get to the main events, I'm going to play a quick clip for you here because we get the debut of a rather interesting personality in WCW who heads over to the commentary table and grabs a microphone. So let's take a listen.
3: Oh, over and we have oh, who's
0: coming out? Who's that? Let's
2: take Evan.
0: You know, he's been talking a lot. Of, well, I can't say it on TV. A but lot of trash.
2: That's right, the he is. And obviously you, the great wrestler you are And we in this business That's
0: enough, not very appreciated This guy
3: is, is you of the <laughs> is Mike, Mike. No secret why I'm here You know what's going on tonight Sting and Steiner, they think they're hardcore They don't know what hardcore is You see that cage up there That's hardcore You know how many times I've been in that cage? All More on. times than I can count I don't care. There's one thing, one thing I'm doing. I'm gonna be the ref, and I'll be here and I'll bring hell with me if I'm not, you understand? Yeah, you, got it. you understand? Yes I do. Yes sir. He says go. go. he's gonna be the referee
2: for Sting and Rick Steiner in the cage
1: tonight. I'd like to say that his promo work eventually gets better, but uh no, not really. But anyway, as you heard there, tonight marked the Nitro debut of Tank Abbott, who WCW recently signed to a three-year contract. In case you're not familiar with Tank, he was a fighter in the UFC, and I can only assume WCW hoped that he would be their version of Ken Shamrock, and I say that because, just like WWF did with Shamrock, WCW is starting Tank out as a special guest referee for tonight's Steel Cage main event between Sting and Rick Steiner. And so, in that match that Tank Abbott refereed, we had a no contest in a cage match. Why? Because Tank knocked Sting out with a forearm, and then, instead of having Rick Steiner simply pin Sting, Tank Abbott just left the cage and let Steiner beat on Sting until the show went off the air. So yeah, clearly a great start to Tank Abbott's WCW career. And just about a year from now, he'll be dancing with Three Count, and indirectly getting Vince Russo removed from his position in WCW, because Russo suggests putting the world title on him. Those are pretty much Tank Abbott's most noteworthy moments in WCW. I'd like to say that they squandered all of his potential, but, well, he he probably didn't have much potential. And so we had that debut on Nitro, but we also had a very noteworthy return to mention as well, and that would be the return of Eddie Guerrero, who joined the commentary team for a little while. As you may recall, Eddie crashed his car on New Year's Eve, which resulted in three fractured vertebrae and doctors having to reconstruct his ankle, and this was the first time we had seen him on television since then. Pretty insane that he got that badly injured, but when he eventually returns to the ring, you'd never even realize it. It was like he never missed a beat. So, always great to see Eddie, one of my all-time favorites, so no complaints from me there. And on that note, let's switch back to the WWF and take it to the Raw synopsis. So let me just say, when it comes to this higher power angle, in my memory, they had built this up for a long time. I thought we had gotten weeks and weeks of buildup as to who the higher power was. But no, it was pretty much just this episode of Raw. Now, don't get me wrong, The Undertaker has definitely referenced the Higher Power occasionally over the past few months, but this was really the first time they've built an episode of Raw around this angle and said, the Higher Power is an actual person who's going to appear on television. Everything else has kind of just been a vague allusion to the Higher Power up to this point. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised they're preparing to reveal the Higher Power so quickly. Because remember, they've been doing insane ratings over the past month, so it's not like they need to do a reveal like this right now and get more buzz for the show because pretty much everyone is already watching it anyway. I mean, realistically, the Monday Night Wars are basically over. Nitro poses no threat to them right now. But I suppose maybe the WWF wants to just keep going for the jugular, so props to them for that, I guess. And frankly, the little portion at the end there where the higher power only reveals himself to Stone Cold is kind of brilliant because we as the viewers know for sure that we're going to find out who it is on the next episode of Raw. It's not like Austin would just show up and keep that info to himself. We know it's going to come out one way or the other, and boy does it ever. But in terms of the other stuff on the show, there was some more good content as well. Triple H's continued use of the sledgehammer, the acolytes surprisingly winning the titles, and clearly the feel-good moment from the show. Jeff Jarrett winning the Intercontinental title, the very belt that his tag team partner Owen Hart was slated to win just two nights prior at Over the Edge. However, there was a lot of filler on this show, and some of it was just downright stupid, particularly the in-ring debut of Beaver Cleavage and an entire segment dedicated to Mark Henry taking a shit. So overall, I'd give this episode a thumbs in the middle. It's a pretty mixed bag, but with that being said... I would still watch it over almost any episode of Raw in 2020, because, I mean, priorities, people. And before we finish up, here are a few notes from this week's edition of the Wrestling Observer. Needless to say, most of the content in the Observer this week is about the Owen Hart saga still, and I don't want to dive into all the specifics because so much information was still coming out around this time, but here are just a few quick tidbits. Bret Hart and Martha Hart appeared on Larry King Live just a few hours after Owen's funeral, and Martha heavily implied she's going to sue the WWF, while Bret said that his WCW storylines will be on hold for a while because he'll be taking some time off, so nothing too surprising there. Also, Davey Boy Smith was interviewed and said that he doesn't blame Vince McMahon for Owen's death, and he's still hoping to return to the WWF at some point, and I feel like those two statements are... Directly related, but I'll just leave that there. And I mentioned on the last episode how late-night host Craig Kilborn made a joke on air about Owen, but apparently he wasn't the only one. A local Dallas radio station caught some flack this week because their morning show DJs discussed Owen's death while playing crashing sound effects over Tom Petty's song Free Fallen. So it's good to know that people being total pieces of shit was a thing well before Twitter. That's nice to know. But okay, segueing out of the Owen Hart news, there's actually some good news for ECW this week. They're finalizing a deal to have their own television show, Friday nights on TNN, starting in September. At least, this would certainly seem to be a great thing for ECW, but well, suffice to say, it doesn't quite end up being the positive relationship that Paul Heyman had hoped for, so stay tuned there. Fitness model Trish Stratus is still being courted by both the WWF and WCW. And honestly, if you're Trish and you see the ratings for both of these companies right now, how do you not go with the WWF? Although, granted, they did just kill one of her fellow Canadians on live television, so I'm guessing maybe that didn't help. And finally, Meltzer briefly writes about how Sable and Mark Merrow are in a contract dispute with the WWF. Not many details yet, but oh, just you wait. I believe some more information emerges next week, so I will be sure to dive into that on the next episode. Stay glued to your uh, podcast devices. But so on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepecks, the suplex throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes just like our new friend Ace Sohood did because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. Or if you're more of a fan of that whole brevity thing, just rate us five stars on iTunes without writing a review because that's helpful too. And again, quite a few of you did this over the past month or so, so thank you very much for that. I have nothing further to add about this episode, and so, as I mentioned on the previous episode, this is the week where we get the debut of The Rock's brand new Chef Boyardee commercial. And yes, in the ad, they essentially do a poor imitation of the Will Smith song, gettin' jiggy with it, but instead the lyrics are changed to, gettin' chefy with it. And by the way, that Will Smith song had already been out for a year and a half at this point. People were tired of getting jiggy by now, so needless to say the fine folks at Chef Boyardee were not exactly striking while the iron was hot. But to their credit, I think they were the first ones to ever get The Rock to film a commercial, so I'll go ahead and play that for you here. So enjoy that clip, and I will catch you next time when AEW Rundown host Adam and I discuss the June 7th, 1999 episode of Raw, which features the revelation of the higher power. See you then.